0: The, uh, the honor you guys give me is just amazing. Hey, we have had an amazing time at Desert Days. God is moving among our youth. I am so proud to have you guys as a part of this church, and you're leading us out in passion and in fire. And God was doing amazing things. Obviously, you heard of a beautiful healing that happened. I think you caught in that testimony. Uh, of, of a young man who is saying I went to camp not even believing there was a God and halfway through he encountered me and I'm giving my life to him and last night as we concluded the camp and, and asking who wanted to give their lives to Jesus who was ready to be saved so many of the different ones raising their hands we, we have a very diverse youth group as you can tell most diverse youth group I've ever seen uh, people from all different ethnic backgrounds different countries different uh, you know economic backgrounds, uh, but also spiritually diverse, so kids coming from Christian backgrounds, and then a lot of kids that are coming uh, from from uh, non believing backgrounds but coming and meeting Jesus being transformed. God touching them in an amazing way. So you want to ask these youth, I'd encourage you church family, to come up and ask one of these youth, what did God do in their life? And maybe even at the end of the service, have them pray for you. And let's receive some of this fire that was going on at Desert Days at camp this, this past week. Well, before we jump into the message, I want to take you into some exciting news. I want to be, be personal and just share something from mine and Stephanie's heart of something that really Uh, has got us excited this Thursday, something that happened, and it was this. We just completed our preliminary papers for an international adoption. So the uh, Herbert family is going to be growing. We're going to be adopting a a young girl, and and, uh, let me just tell you a little of the story. I think it will will be interesting for you. And the reason I share is I see church as a family and I want you with us. I need you in our corner. I need you praying for us. And in 2004, many of you saw the news of the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia and the devastation that that caused. And I remember doing some research and and sitting behind a computer and Stephanie and I looking at the pictures of all these children who had lost their Parents and our hearts being broken and just crying and saying, God, what could we do about it? And many of you know the story that I led a relief team over into that country, and we saw the glory of God, saw numerous healings, actually was able to rebuild a village. But one of the long-term words for us coming from that event was that we were called to adopt a child. And at that time, we started understanding the plight of many children, specifically in Asia, that were being trafficked for sexual exploitation. And so we've had our sights set on adopting for many years. It was at that time we had one child. We just had Hallie, our 11-year-old, and saw the Lord saying, God, we don't want to just have as many kids as is comfortable for us. We want to do what you want us to do. How many kids do you want us to have in our family? I felt God specifically say, you're called to have four biological kids, and then you'll adopt one. And so we spent a time praying with our pastors and My parents, Stephanie's parents, our family saying, hey, we feel called to adopt, but we want to hear the Lord with this community. Everyone sought the Lord with us. We felt like it was a go. So you're looking at us, that was 2004, 11 years later, we don't have an adopted child. Why? We knew that this would be a big mountain to climb, and international adoptions are are a big challenge. And so we wanted the wind of the Spirit blowing behind us. We wanted God's timing. We've been doing a few things with our lives in, in the past few years and knew we needed to walk right and step with the Lord. At World Mandate West this past year, our hearts were just wrecked for the nations again. And Stephanie and I were saying, God, what, what are you calling us to do specifically to be a part of touching the nations? And both of us at the same time felt like God said, it's time to begin your adoption process. Now, the interesting thing was several years ago, about three or four, now about four years ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, number five is on the way. I woke up and I said, number five is on the way, Stephanie. Now, we've known we wanted to adopt uh, about a four-year-old or four- or five-year-old. I told her that, but I didn't tell anyone else that. Michelle Rowan didn't know what was, was going on. She comes up to me two weeks later and goes, Robert, I just had this dream that you said to me, number five is on the way wow. <laughs> then people started coming to us and saying, hey, we had a dream that you adopted. People that had no idea what we were doing. Well, fast forward to several months ago. We began our, our process, and we found out that Thailand was actually going to be impossible for us to adopt from. We had felt Thailand for years, and that's where we're planting our second church campus right now in Bangkok. And it was an, it was an obvious for us, but God had spoken to us. But As we went to different agencies, there's four agencies that that facilitate adoptions out of Thailand. As we went to them, we found out that there were different uh, prerequisites that you have to fit in. And one, uh, most of them want you to be infertile as a couple or at least just have one child. Obviously, Stephanie and I are not infertile. We're very fertile. I feel like all I have to do is look at her and she gets pregnant. And... um, (laughs) So every group we talked to said, well, we can't facilitate an adoption, and and we came to the end of the groups, and they basically said it's impossible. I was ministering in another city, and I prayed for uh, this couple, and they were powerfully touched by the Lord, and we were having this just amazing moment in the spirit. And I said, hey, uh, you know, what's going on in your life? They said, well, we're missionaries to Thailand I said, well, would you please pray for me? We're trying to adopt out of Thailand, but everybody's saying it's impossible because we already have four kids. They say, well, we've heard that before, but we have four kids, and we adopted from Thailand. And we will do everything in our power to help you make this happen. Oh, that's awesome. You know, what man says is impossible is possible with God. Then God connected us to a new organization that's just starting facilitating adoptions out of Thailand. They said, I know it says it's impossible, but we'll help you make it happen. So this week marks the week that we filled out our paperwork and I want you to be praying with us. I want to bring you in as a family. It's a very vulnerable thing to say because it's something that in the world's eyes looks like it could not happen, but we know God has spoken so clearly to us. A girl comes up to us that doesn't know we're going to adopt right after we've been hearing all these impossible words. She comes up and she said, I had the most interesting dream last night. I had a dream that, that both you and your sister, she's talking to Steph, were having babies. Well, what she didn't know was that Steph's sister is, is pregnant right now. And then she said, and then Steph, you brought home a child, and that child was from Thailand. <laughs> Steph said, well, the reason you had that dream is because we're trying to adopt from Thailand right now. <laughs> you know, God is a God who brings impossible situations into being. And so I'm just asking you, church family, to partner with us to believe for the impossible. And and that brings me to my text today, because how could we stand up and share about a situation that the world says is impossible? It comes from verses like this. If you turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're in our series on a heart for the house. We're walking through a, a summary of the book of 2 Corinthians, and we come to this verse in chapter 3 and verse 4 that says this. It says, such confidence such confidence we have through Christ before God. I want to tell you that our confidence comes from God. It's not from us. Isn't confidence a beautiful thing? We, we all love to be around someone who, who has a holy confidence, a pure confidence. Not someone who's cocky, mind you, but, but someone who's just secure, in, in who they are. This is something I love about Joel Sanders, you guys youth pastor. I remember uh, Joel was in the college group I led in Texas, and, and he was so different from so many of the other young guys that were always trying to, to, to vie, to be in the scene, to, to try to get in some popular group, to gain acceptance. Instead, Joel had been met with by God his freshman year, and he just had this peace about who he was. He was secure in who he was, and therefore, instead of always trying to get into some group, it was like groups of people just formed around him. You know, when someone walks in peace, then you receive their peace, and you can be peaceful in who you are. And so I watched as just groups of people of all different types of groups, all different backgrounds formed around Joel, and people felt loved and valued and accepted. And so when God called us out to San Diego, and I knew he wanted to do something powerful among young people, the one college student I invited to join us from my college group was Joel Sanders. And aren't you guys glad he decided to come? (laughs) Here's what I want to tell you, though. God wants to make you confident. All over this room, if you're anything like me, I started so insecure. I might have looked like I had things going on and put together on the outside, but I was so insecure. I'd walk in a room like this and just say, "You know, do people like me? What do people think about me? What what do people you know say about me behind my back?" I was so insecure. But as I dove into the presence of God and said, said, God, you're the one who can meet my acceptance needs, he started changing me from the inside out. This is my desire for you. My desire for each person in this room is that you would walk into this room and just be like this, hey, I'm here. You should love me. (laughs) Can you imagine if that's how you felt? Every room you walked into, you're like, I'm a gift to this room. I think God actually wants you to live life with that mindset. I would just be broken hearted if my children came into my house and they're always going, you know, I wonder what my brothers thinks about me and my mom and my dad. and You know, what do they think? And I want to tell you, a lot of Christians are living their lives like that. What does Father think about me? They don't even call him Father. What does God, that distant God, what does he think about me? What does the church think about me? Instead of walking in and saying, I'm here, love on me, that is the calling of every believer. And that's what the apostle Paul is writing. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to wonder how he sees you. He doesn't want you to live in this awkward place of, does God like me, or is he mad at me, or is he upset? Does he accept me? No, God wants you to live in a place of confidence. Not because of what you've done. Right, listen to this next verse, it says this, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Now listen, as long as you put your confidence in what you do, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. Stop the performance game. Right? This is how the performance game goes. When I'm doing really good, when I woke up and said my prayers, when I didn't curse, when I stumped my toe, when I drove here without cutting someone off, when I'm doing good in school, I brought home an A on my report card. When I did good at work, then I feel really good about myself. And I'm confident. But I have a bad day. And I live in a place of insecurity. I live in a place of condemnation. I live in a place of shame. But so many of us live our life just thinking, if I can perform high enough, if I can have enough wins, if I can be excellent enough, then I'll be confident. Those things are not wrong, but it's not what we base our competence or our competence on. The Bible says this, but our competence comes from God. Jesus wants to place his Holy Spirit in you. And so you live from the inside out and you understand I'm a loved child of God. I'm bought with a price. I'm of tremendous value to my father. I'm a blessing to my community. I'm accepted. I'm secure. And gosh darn it, people like me. That's how he wants you to live. He says this, he made us competent as ministers of a new covenants. What's a covenant? A covenant, if you look at the Hebrew word for covenant, it's berith. And it means a pledge, a promise, an alliance, a friendship. The people of God have always been a covenant people. There's been an agreement between them and God. And and that makes them secure. Here's the, the best analogy I can can give you is of a a holy marriage these days. I I love being at weddings. I talk about this all the time. You take a a girl who's been secure and wondered if she measured up and, and do guys like me, and then one day, Mr. Wright proposes to her, and she just starts changing until that day she is coming down the aisle, and she's dressed in one of those white, flowy, puffy, heavenly dresses. She's got her hair all done majestically. She's got her makeup done in glory. And she comes around that corner, and you can take the most insecure girl her whole life. But on that day, she realizes that Mr. Wright has said no to the 3.2 billion rest of the women on the planet and chosen her. And so when she comes around that corner, I love it. This is my favorite part of every wedding. She comes around that corner, Miss Insecure insecure Girl in her heavenly white cloud of a dress, comes around and she just and turns. You know the guy's like looking like yes, and she just comes floating down the aisle with the confidence. Why? Because she's about to join a covenant. She knows that that man has chosen her, and he's committed to her for life. And so all of a sudden, there's a confidence in her, and get out of her way, because she is strutting her stuff down that aisle. And that's how God wants you to be. Also, I had a really awkward picture of some of you men right there, <laughs> a big, puffy wedding dress. <laughs> uh, God wants you to have that confidence in his commitment to you. Now, it's not the old covenant. He says it's not the old covenant. It's a new covenant. So let me just explain the old covenant for a moment. The old covenant was this. God God had marched the people out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt. He had delivered them through through these amazing signs and wonders and then he gives this law to Moses. He, he writes this law up on the mountain. He, he writes this law to Moses. And this old covenant is this. If you'll follow my law, if you'll follow these Ten Commandments and these other rules, these, these are good for you. You're going to be protected. And then I will bless you. So that was great. Except that we have this problem and it's called Sin. So although we're not supposed to cheat, we're not supposed to steal, we're not supposed to covet our neighbor, we just do those things. And so continually, the people fell short of those laws that God had. So their relationship with God was always broken. And the law ended up just reminding us that we're not perfect and that we're always falling on our face. That was the old covenant. But the new covenant, which you actually have a chance to live under, is this. God realizes, God says, of course you can't fulfill the law. Of course you can't be perfect. Only my son can. Jesus, I'll send him to the earth to show you what a life looks like in righteousness, and then he'll actually die on the cross to pay for all these sins every time you were fallen short and you deserved the punishment of sin which is death he's going to die in your place jesus took our sins in his body, on the cross, he paid for our sins. We deserve to die. He died in our place, but he doesn't stay dead. He raises from the dead. He defeats the power of sin and death and then says, if you'll accept me as your Lord and Savior, I'll put my spirit in your heart. And this is the new covenant. It's not just letters of the law. It's actually walking with me, with the living God inside of you. Wow. Wow. Let me just put up this little chart for a second to explain the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I think this might help you a little. The Old Covenant is this. Man, that's a handsome guy. Okay. The Old Covenant is the law of Moses. It's written, Moses got it, on these tablets The new covenant is the gospel of Christ. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus. The old covenant is just written on tablets of stone. I mean, this is awesome. The finger of God comes out and sketches laws in the stone. I mean, that's awesome. But look at this. The new one is written on human hearts. The Holy Spirit actually making his home in your heart. The old covenant was of the letter The new covenant is of the Holy Spirit. The old covenant kills. The new covenant gives life. The old covenant is the ministry of death. The new covenant is the ministry of the Spirit. The old covenant is the ministry of condemnation. The new covenant is the ministration of righteousness. The old covenant was glorious. I mean, there was some glory going on, but the new covenant is exceeding glory. The old covenant passes away, but the new one remains forever. Let me help you understand, wrap your mind around the old covenant versus the new covenant for a minute. I love my grandmother. She's 94. She's at the end of her life. She is the most lovely woman. And she has very exquisite tastes. And so my grandmother loved to, to go and tour palaces and castles. And as a teenager, when I was many of you guys' age, she actually took me on a trip to Europe to go through all these majestic sights. And I remember going to Versailles, that beautiful palace in France. And, and, and it was awe-inspiring. And there was these uh, amazing gardens. And and I just wanted to run and play in these gardens. And I realized, no, you have to be on this tour. And you can't go and hide and play. You have to just march right in line with your tour company. And then we go into the house. And this house had so many rooms. And I'm just thinking, man, I'd love to go play hide and go seek. And the tour guide looks at us and says, you have to walk exactly on this one little carpet. And don't move outside of the stanchions with these ropes. And do not touch anything. And in fact, don't even take pictures because you'll hurt the artwork. And you know as a kid you're just like, oh this is amazing I want to run, I want to play I want to hide, I want to get lost in here and I realize if I do any of those things, I'm getting kicked out. I touch one of those pieces of art, those guards are going to tase me. (laughs) I realized quickly although this is glorious I'm just a tourist. This isn't my house I don't belong. Now here's the cool thing my grandmother actually back in texas has this massive estate this grandiose home and when i went into her home when i got to go into that i wasn't a tourist i was a grandson i was a child i belonged and so I could go, and I could play hide-and-go-seek. And I played hide-and-go-seek in the different rooms. My sister's here on the front row visiting. Hi, Heather and Hannah. I mean, hi, Heather and Robert. You're not Hannah. You're Robert. Okay, sorry. My, she has a twin named Hannah, and he looks nothing like her. Um, <laughs> but my sister and I would play in the, in these rooms, and, and, and we get to go and, and play in the gardens. We could pick flowers. We could go swim in her pool. She had this little go-kart that we could ride around. I mean, we had all the benefits because we were children of the house. Guys, this is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant, you're a child. The inheritance is yours. And, and, and here, I got all confident, and I'd actually be a little prideful because I love bringing my friends into this kind of thing, because I'd be like, hey, come on in, come into my grandmother's house, come see these rooms, and I loved watching them get all wide-eyed, hey, and let's go play around, let's go swim in the pool. Do you have a confidence that the kingdom belongs to you, Christian? Do you have a confidence that what you have in God, you can share with others? That is the new covenant that you're walking in. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 says this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steady at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Moses stood face to face with God. He went up Mount Sinai, and when God was writing the law... The glory of God came in such a way that when he came down the mountain, the Israelites went, ah! Why? Because glory was shining from his face. No, he was in the presence of God, so glory shined from his face. But look at what it says next. It says this, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? I mean, this is a profound thought. Moses has glory coming from him. But, it, but it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you went down to the beach on a sunny day in San Diego and the sun hits you, it's going to change the color of your skin. It's, your skin is going to get darker. Why? Because you were exposed to the glory and power of the sun. But eventually that's going to fade away. But he says this, what about the ministry of the Spirit? It's even more glorious. If the ministry that brought us condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings us righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Do you know, believer, that you're called to walk in surpassing glory? And if that which was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that lasts? I remember getting touched by this verse in, in my early adult years and just thinking, okay, Moses was face-to-face face with God, his face shone, but God, you're saying that you actually want us to walk in a greater glory as ministers of the new covenant? We were taking an outreach to, to Austin, Texas at Halloween time and There's a street called 6th Street where hundreds, a thousand people went to party and engage in all kind of revelry at, at Halloween. And so we love taking the light of God to the darkest places. But I was really, had really been impacted by this verse. And I said, okay, God, if Moses saw you face to face and his face glowed, can you make my face glow because of the spirit of God living in me? And I remember sharing this with someone, and they said, well, I don't think you could actually take that literal. And I thought, but, but why not? It's here in Scripture. So I actually started praying, God, would you actually make my face glow to where people would see the glory of God and stop and talk to me? I know that's a crazy prayer, but, but could it happen? We were leading a couple of hundred students. We parked some buses. Uh, a a few blocks from 6th Street and we're walking with them and I had just been praying this prayer over and over and over again and there's two of us guys, me and my friend Brian that are leading a couple hundred students behind us. As we're walking, these two women who are coming from partying and they're pretty scantily clad, I watch them as their faces go like this and they start pointing at us. And these women start saying this, what is that light? What is that light? And I'm going, oh my goodness, this is really happening. They go, what is that light? And, I said, and they got closer, and they go, what is that? It's like there's halos shining over your head. And I looked at them, and I looked up, and I didn't see anything. But I said, it's the glory of God. And they went, wow. And right there, these women stop, and we get to share the gospel with them. Coming from parting, they see the glory of God, and we preach the gospel to them. And you can better believe the rest of the night, man. I was ready to take a bullet. I'm like, oh, come on. I, I, of, course, I, of course, I'm not saying this is all the scripture is talking about. Of course, there's so many other ways that the glory of God is going to come from us. But so many times we just spiritualize things instead of believing that the supernatural power of God is still at work in our world. We end up walking to 6th Street. We, we form this big circle, and we're just worshiping, saying, Lord, let your glory flow from us and impact these people. And, and, you know, some people were repelled by us. They just wanted to engage in their sin and their promiscuity. But some people were drawn to the light. I, I remember talking to different ones, and, and different people were coming to Christ. They came to this party and, and just to engage in all kinds of sin, and they're walking away saved. But I, I remember one woman walking up, and, and, and it was a very interesting sight because she actually had two blind women on her arms. And so these blind women walk up, she's holding them on her arms and we see them and we're like, man, they've come up to us, we've got to pray for them. So I grab one of the girl leaders from Austin that was with us and we walk up to these women and say, can we pray for you? You you know, Jesus healed people and, and he even healed the blind. Can we pray for you guys to be healed? And I remember laying hands on them And the power of God came so strong. And I just knew they were going to get healed. And we stopped. Can you see? Nothing. They felt so loved. We shared the gospel with them. They walked away. We handed them a card just saying, hey, if you're interested, come to this church. Here's the address. Here's the pastor's name. We had a great night. People came to the Lord. People were touched and went home. Three months later, I'm emceeing a conference and I step down off stage and this girl comes running to me. She's the girl leader from Austin. She goes, Robert, I couldn't wait to tell you this. Do you remember those blind girls we prayed for on 6th Street? I'm like, yes. She goes, do you remember how we gave them a business card and told them to come to the church? She goes, one of them came and she found the pastor and she could see. And she came and testified to the pastor. She said... After these guys prayed for me, I started seeing light until my vision came back. I went to the doctor, and he confirmed it. She goes, it was a miracle. My retinas were detached, and he's confirmed that they've reattached. (laughs) How, how, How is this possible? It's possible because we're ministers of the new covenant, that glory of God that impacted Moses, God now wants to put it in you and for it to flow out of you. How could God change the world through some, some scrubby fishermen? Yeah, you know, this this... Past week on Tuesday, we went on a fishing trip. We took some some kids out on a deep sea fishing trip that was donated to our church, and we were with some of the boat hands. and And, and these were these were fun guys, but they weren't probably the guys that I would have thought would be the world leaders to change the world. You know, they hadn't showered; they're all scrubby. And every time we'd start the boat again, they'd they'd, they'd light up another cig, and and their language wasn't the most edifying language that you've ever heard. And, But that's who Jesus chose to change the world. How? Because it wasn't about these fishermen perfectly obeying the rules. It was about these fishermen knowing that they had nothing in themselves and that they needed a savior and that the Holy Spirit could come in and indwell in them and the glory of God would shine out of them. And so it was said actually in Acts chapter four, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, two fishermen, and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, God is wanting to come into your life and shine out of you in such a way that people are astonished. That's what it says in verse 12. It says this, therefore, 2 Corinthians 3.12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. You know, I loved last night watching these youth get bold as the Holy Spirit was filling them. Some of these guys, they came in not even really believing in God. By the end of the week, they're going up and laying hands on, the, on, on sick people and praying for the power of God to come. They're going up. They didn't even believe that God spoke. And now at the end of the week, they're going up and prophesying over people. The boldness on them was incredible. Why? It's not because they think they're so awesome. It's because they know that an awesome God is living inside of them. Let me ask you, church, would people say that you're bold? Some of you would say, well, that's not my personality. I'm not really a bold person. I'm not asking you about your personality. I'm asking you, is the Holy Spirit so filled your life that he can break out whenever he wants, and you're bold for his kingdom? You know, because the world needs A bold people for Jesus. People are doing bold things for for all types of uh, other things they believe in. But who's going to be bold for Jesus? And the great news is you don't have to conjure it up in your flesh. It's just draw in to Jesus. Let his Holy Spirit overtake you. And you step out in the boldness of the power of the Spirit. Verse 13. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end that was passing away. Verse 14, but their minds were made dull. For this day, that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Listen very carefully. Some of you have come in and you're just exploring the claims of Jesus and you're kind of wondering about this whole Christianity thing and, and you know that Christians are different, so you're wondering, okay, are they just, is it just about following rules? Is it just about trying to be, be different? And what the scripture is saying is, no, it's not it's about reading the rules and, and trying to do this religion thing. It's about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, letting him put the Holy Spirit of God in you. Then a veil that separates us from God is ripped. You have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his spirit makes you new from the inside out. You become a new creation in him, and then all things are possible. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of my favorite things that happens when people really come in contact with the power of the Spirit is they start getting free. I mean, don't you want to live a free life? I don't know about you, but there were so many things that I've been in bondage to. Whether it was was things that I just kept going back to, sin that I kept going back to, or or or, or I was just bound up in fear, or I was bound up in insecurity. When the Holy Spirit starts taking over, you start getting free. Uh, Last night, before I spoke, it's the last night, and, and, and I'm talking to one of the guys who last year came as a youth, and now he came back as one of our leaders, and he had just come to Christ Uh, last year before the camp, but he said, you know, I I, I came to Christ, but I was addicted to to cigarettes, and I just turned 18, so I was just buying pack after pack after pack of cigarette, and I couldn't get free, and he said, at the end of the message last year, you said, if you want to surrender everything to Jesus, come up front, and he came down front, and he was just saying, Lord, I can't do it. I can't stop smoking. I can't get rid of this, and he said, then one of the leaders came up and put his hands on him and said, you've got to let God do this you got to let God take over. He said he prayed for me, and, 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 and our, our youth uh, leader said the fire of God just came, and the power of the Holy Spirit touched him. And he said, I got up, and I've never had another craving for a cigarette. God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free from addictions. I'm not saying that everything's going to be an instantaneous freedom. Some of us, we're going to have to keep digging deep and saying, Holy Spirit, come in power. You're going to give me power to walk free from sin. When I got set free, there were some things that I just walked away from and some that have been a fight. But I know that there's power from the Holy Spirit to set me free. Some of you have been battling fights in your minds, and you just feel like your mind is a battlefield, but the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. Listen to this verse. It says, now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let the spirit of God in your mind so you can be free in your mind. Let the spirit of God take over your body so your body can be free. Let the spirit of God come into your family so your family can live free. God wants to invade every aspect of your life, and he wants to live, he wants you to live a free life, but you first gotta let him take over. It's where the spirit of the Lord is. You gotta let let him be your Lord. Let's look at this last verse to finish our time. It says this, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, or, or the Greek word for that, contemplate is catapriso, which means to reflect as in a mirror or to behold. That's probably a better translation. And we all beholding the Lord's glory begin to reflect it, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that you start becoming like that which you behold? You you watch enough soap operas and your life starts becoming like a soap opera. Or you watch uh, uh, enough violent movies and all of a sudden you're, you're cursing like these movies and you're all angry and you're like, wait a second, what's happening? You become what you behold. You take it in and it transforms you. Whatever you behold, you start looking like that which you're focusing on. That's a a strange but powerful truth for humanity. But the redemptive side is this. You start staring at Jesus, and you start looking like Jesus. I mean, that's what changed my life. When I got to college, I had been a, a, a Christian for years, but I hadn't seen anyone that really looked like Jesus. Because it was really more of an old covenant type of Christianity. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. Don't have sex. And then you're a Christian. And I got to college, and I come face to face with this young woman, this 18-year-old girl, uh, 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 that that she was in love with Jesus. And she spent time with Jesus, and she looked different. I I looked at her, and she looks like Jesus. And it was not because she was a a 30-year-old Jewish carpenter. She had fair skin and blonde, fluffy hair, and Had a high voice, but when I talked to her, I thought the light of God is flowing from her eyes. And her countenance just has this glory to it. And I asked her, why are you like this? And she talked about walking with Jesus, hearing his voice, feeling his touch, being full of his spirit. And I said, I want what you have. And I started focusing my eyes on Jesus. And little by little, he started changing me And all people's church, that is my desire for you. That people would come in those doors and they'd say, man, that was one diverse group. That, that, that is, is one hodgepodge of people. But I've never seen so many people that look like Jesus. Why? Because they've just been fixed on his face. They've just been beholding him. And as they look at him, that glory of God is just transforming you. What if your face became your greatest witnessing tool? What if your eyes brought people to Jesus? What if your smile melted people's heart by his love? And we all, with unveiled faces beholding him, are transformed from glory to glory. Can we be a church that agrees to get transformed by Jesus? I mean, seriously, let me just finish with this. What if you walked out of here and instead of worrying about how much you're performing or how many gifts you have or if I made enough money, what if you just walked out saying, Jesus, I just want to focus on you and I want to look at you and let you just transform me. I don't care what happened in the past. I might have fallen on my face a million different times. But today is a new day where I can fix my eyes on that perfect one who loves me, who paid for my life with his death, who raised himself from the dead and is drawing me close. And I want you to just transform me. And as I'm transformed, I'm going to be a light to my family, to my community, to my school, to my workplace. And the glory of God will change a hurting and broken world. Why don't we stand up? You just close your eyes with me. Every time we gather, I I like to give people an opportunity to meet Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And there might be some in this room that say, "You know, Robert, I, I really more saw life, saw Christianity as a bunch of rules, but I'm understanding today that Jesus died for my sins." And I don't know if I've ever let him come into my heart. I don't know if he's really living inside of me. I think God is more up in heaven right now and I'm down here on earth. But man, if there's an opportunity for me to actually let him into my heart and for me to be cleansed from my sin, for me to know that I'm gonna go to heaven when I die, then I want that. If that's you and you wanna nail that down today, I just wanna lead you in a prayer. And you can just say this prayer right after me. And the Bible promises that if you confess this with your heart and you believe it that you will be saved so just pray with me if that's your heart's desire today just say Jesus I need you thank you for dying on the cross thank you for forgiving my sins I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me new and I'll follow you forever and all over this room I just want to pray for those to say yeah today pastor I don't know about yesterday but today I am declaring that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I'm going to let him come in forgive my sins and take over my life. If that's you and you're praying that today with me, would you just raise your hand and just keep it up so I can pray for you. Just raise your hand. Awesome. All over this room. People are raising their hands. Just raise your hand high. Just tons of hands all over this room. Raise your hand high. If you want me to pray for you right now, you say I'm giving my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand high all over this room. Praise God. Who else? Just raise your hand and just keep your hand up as I pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all these ones that are saying, I need Jesus. I need him to be my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for me. He's forgiven my sins. Now, Lord, thank you that this is the beginning of their new life in you. The Bible says that they're a new creation in Christ. You'll never cast them away from your love. And when they, they die, they'll go and spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, we celebrate this new life today in Jesus' name. Let's give a hand, church, to what God's doing. Prayer team, come on forward right now. If you're giving your life to Jesus, we wanna pray for you today. Just wanna encourage you to come down forward to pray with one of our prayer teams. We also wanna put a book in your hand, giving you a gift that's going to help you walk with him. We also want to pray for those today that say, I, I want to walk with Jesus. I want this confidence that you were talking about. Pastor, I, I want to, to, to walk as one who's secure in my relationship with God. I, we want to pray for you today. And also, we want to pray for all those that need physical healing today. If I could have some of my youth that are, that are, that are leaders uh, to come down front to, I want some of these youth to get to pray for ones that need physical healing. They saw some powerful things happen. Uh, this This past week, and I want them to get to pray for you too. So give God a chance. Jesus walked around healing the sick. He's still doing it today. If you need a breakthrough in your body, we want to pray for you. Whatever your need is today, you can have confidence to approach the throne of grace, that God is still in the business of working miracles of changing our lives. As you need prayer, come down right now. If you are one of those that had your hand up and you're committing your life to Jesus, come on down right now. We want to hand you one of these books right here. We wanna give you one of these books that talks about the love of God. You just start coming now. If you need prayer, if God's been stirring your heart today, you just come on down. If you need a friend, grab a friend with you. Just ask them to come down with you. We wanna put one of these books in your hand. If you need healing, we wanna pray for you. Just come now. Stephen's gonna lead us in one last song as we fix our eyes on Jesus and thank him for all that he's doing. God bless you.